Father, this is our prayer this morning. Our deepest desire is that you would be exalted. And sometimes you being exalted means that that situation that we want out of, that tough, hard situation, we want out of it, but in reality, Lord, you might be getting the glory through it. So, Father, I pray this morning for each and every individual that is here that our, our lives would reflect you getting the glory. So, Lord, we want to exemplify that in corporate worship, but we want to see that as a reality worked out through our lives. We thank you for this time, Lord. We pray that you would be with us for the remainder of our gathering as we worship the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Let everybody say amen. amen. Good morning, Epiphany. How we doing? All right, it's afternoon. Good afternoon, Epiphany. How we doing? Good. It is good to be here gathered with God's people in the house of God, uh, getting ourselves underneath the word of God. I was reading um, just in some devotional time this morning, Psalms 1, uh, actually Psalms 19, I think it's verse 7, stuck out to me where it says that the instructions of the Lord are trustworthy. They make wise the simple. And I'm, I'm grateful to be able to gather ourselves around this word that if, if we're honest, I know many of us will say we're wise in all aspects of life, but reality is some of us are very simple on some areas and we just need the word of God to inform us and to speak to us. And so without uh, delay, let's jump right to it. If you guys can get your Bibles and meet me in the book of Habakkuk. Y'all all right this morning because y'all quiet. All right. Meet me in the book of Habakkuk is where we're going to be. I'm eager to preach uh, and I think the reason I'm eager is because we are finishing the book of Habakkuk today. Amen. That is a big, big deal. Uh, it is definitely something to celebrate. It's something to stop and, and just uh, rejoice over. I have mixed emotions. A piece of me is happy that we're able to finish and complete a book of the Bible. This is our fourth book as a church that we've gone through. We originally planted our church and started our church. We went through the book of Colossians, and then we went through the book of Jonah was our second book, and then... Uh, we went through the book of First Peter last year, and so this year we are in the book of Habakkuk, and we'll take a little break from book series and do some topical stuff, some things that uh, my, my heart has been on my heart and has been on my mind I, I just kind of want to address, and then uh, we will jump back into a New Testament book. I really haven't locked it down yet, but that's where we're going. Let me say this to us before we dive in. As you turn there, if you're not there, please get there, Habakkuk 3. Um, Never underestimate how powerful it is for a room full of young people to come together, to gather ourselves around the word of God. Like, let's be honest. Nobody's here to see you. You look nice this morning. You look good, you know, but nobody's here for you. We all got up this morning, looked out the window and was like, Dag, it's raining. I should stay home, but decided to come out anyway. We press through because we want to get around the word of God and uh, ne never let that become common. Uh, you do not gather here to, uh, to hear me preach to tickle your ears. Ne never gather around a church where the pastor or the preacher just wants to preach his opinion. You need a church that is going to give you the word of God found in the pages of your Bible. And sometimes it could be redundant. Sometimes it could be like, oh, we're still in the book of Habakkuk, but it's something so good to get the nutrients that is found in the word of God. And that's what you need most is uh, the word, not my opinion. So never lose that. Never trade that high expectation that you come in here with, that your pastor has spent time in the word and has spent time in prayer. Never trade that to get your ears tickled and hear stuff that you want to hear. But 
uh, always put ourselves in, in the word and have high esteem for the word. Um, also, before I dive in, I just want to express my hope for you guys coming out on this coming Friday for our Sex Rewired. It's actually volume one, Sex Rewired, meaning there will be more conversations on it. So we're putting a, conver- we're putting a comma, not a period after the conversation. And I, I don't know if your plans are coming. I, I don't know what you got going on Friday, but my hope is that you would get here, bring somebody with you. This is a topic that the church has either been silent on. We, we either swing the pendulum one or two ways. We're either silent and we're not saying anything about sexuality and about uh, our sex lives, or we swing the pendulum all the way the other way and we abuse the topic and we abuse homosexuals and we abuse, like, it, it's just, it, it's that middle ground is what I'm hoping for. And the middle ground really is where the scriptures is going to inform us. So please, we're not going it, to, it's going to, I don't know how to address the topic without directly addressing it. And so we will dig deep. It might get uncomfortable for you. Uh, it, it might feel a little awkward. You're going to hear some things that you're going to be like, my pastor said that from the pulpit? Uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't get embarrassed easily, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go in. I'm just telling you. So please come, come and bring somebody with you. My last hope is that you'll get here. It starts at 730. Please get here at 7, uh, just because we are expecting a little bit of an overflow. So I want you guys to get seats. All right. Verse 17, Habakkuk chapter 3. Three verses and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Please underline this phrase. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. I want to preach this afternoon from the topic entitled Rejoicing in Difficult Situations or Rejoicing in Difficult Times. Let us pray. Father, we do Come before you with hearts of gratitude as we conclude this book. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us each and every week. As I look back, we've been in this book for eight, maybe nine weeks now, and uh, it has been a joy to work through your word. Uh, Father, I pray that this morning would be no different than every other time we come before you. We need you. Father, we need your word. We need you to speak to us. Would you get me out of the way? Would you control my thoughts to only say the things that you want this church to hear. At the end of the day, Lord, what we really, really, really desperately need is Jesus. And so, Lord, would you make, uh, make our hearts understand him from the text today? He said that all scriptures find their fulfillment in me. So we want to get to Jesus today. Help us with that. It is in Christ's name and Christ's name alone we pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. Rejoicing in difficult times. Uh, I'm going to start the sermon a little bit differently than I normally started. I'm going to start it with a rhetorical question, rhetorical meaning you don't actually have to answer. But I I seriously want you to ponder. I seriously want you to think about this question and and really draw a specific experience in your mind. Uh, What was the most difficult situation that you've ever experienced in your life? I'm talking about that situation that, that literally almost took you out. That, that, ser- that experience that wrecked you emotionally, 
that experience that wrecked you spiritually and even physically. And reality is some of you, it it doesn't take long for you to think about that experience because that experience is happening right now. You come in here this morning with a heaviness this morning, and maybe that experience is the death of a loved one. Got a text this morning from one of our members that they just lost their loved one this week and last week, two different family members that they lost and so maybe it's the death of a, of a parent or maybe it's the death of a child or someone that you deeply, deeply love, the de- death of a spouse. Maybe it's an act of violence that was committed against you. Maybe the experience that you drew from is a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Maybe the experience that you drew from is you being fired from a job that you genuinely love. There's some jobs you get fired from, you're like, Lord, thank you. But then there's times you get fired, you're like, Lord, I actually really like that job and did not see that one coming. Maybe your experience is that you got news from a spouse that they were unfaithful to you. I don't know what experience you're drawing from, but here's the second part of that question. If you've gotten that thought or that experience on your mind, what were your thoughts towards God during that time? Did you pray? And if you did pray, did you pray with tears? Did you pray with anger towards God? Or maybe you went the opposite way. Maybe you just walked away from God completely because experience was so detrimental to your life and so traumatic that you decided, I don't even want to be in a relationship with this God that would allow this type of experience to happen for me. Well, in today's passage, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, Habakkuk is coming off of the heels of a very traumatic experience. In fact, if you read verse 16, which is the preceding verse above our chapter, Habakkuk literally says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. The prophet is wrestling with earth-shattering news. What is the earth-shattering news that God is going to punish his people by sending the Babylonians? And maybe when I asked you and invited you to think about that situation, maybe you couldn't conjure up a situation in your mind. You couldn't draw back to a specific situation that you experienced that almost took you out. And if you could not think of a situation, let me just suggest to you to live a little bit longer because you will go through If you can't think of a situation, I can promise you if you live long enough, trouble will find you. It always does. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care if you've been walking with the Lord for the last 50 years. Trouble always has a way of finding us. And without minimizing your specific experience or even downplaying it, let me promise you that what you dealt with pales in comparison to what Habakkuk is dealing with. As we get into verse 17, we will see that Habakkuk is dealing with some serious loss. In fact, I have three points today. I'm going to hit them, and then I'm going to let you get out of here. Here's my three points. You can write these down. Each one of these is found in our text. First point is this, what it looks like to experience loss. Second point is this, how to rejoice in difficult seasons. And the third one is God is our strength. First, let's deal with experiencing loss. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in 
the stalls. Habakkuk is prophetically looking and foreseeing the state that Judah will lie in. After the Babylonians come and sweep through this nation because of their sin, the prophet is now looking at what Judah will look like. And when he looks, he sees great loss. Now hear me, there's one thing when you lose one area of life. It is a whole nother thing when you lose six areas of life. In verse 17, what we see is not just Habakkuk, but all of Judah losing six areas of life. And the six areas of life that is going to be mentioned in verse 17, all are in some type of order based on severity. Look with me. I'm going to briefly touch them, and then I got to answer the question. What in the world does this have to do with us in Bed-Stuy in 2018? We got to answer that question because I'm willing to, willing to bet that none of you have fig trees in your backyard. None of you have herds and stalls. And so this won't make sense unless we apply it to our lives. Look at the sixth thing that they lose. We're going to work through them really, really quickly. First one, though the fig tree should not blossom. The first loss that they experience is the loss of figs. Now, this is not that severe. In fact, figs were more of a delicacy in Israel. And so this is almost like a snack. You lose the fig tree, you can still survive. They'll be okay. But note the severity continues and it gets greater and greater. The second thing that they lose is the loss of fruit on the vines, a.k.a. grapes. Grapes is... What provided the daily drink, including wine. Somebody's in here like, nah, that's severe. I don't know why you said. (laughs) But they lose the drink of the. But here's the crazy thing. They can lose grapes and drink water and be okay. So it's not like this is that detrimental to their life. But it continues to grow in severity. The third thing they lose is the loss of olive crops. The olive tree begins to be more severe because the olive oil is where they get their lighting from and they lose their ability to cook their food. Now, of course, they can, this is an agrarian culture, so they can eat the crops without cooking. So this, again, is more of an inconvenience, more than it is severe, but it continues to get more severe. Look at the fourth one. In the fields yield no fruit. The failure for the fields to produce food in agrarian culture, they cannot go to Food Town and pick up food. They, can, they can't go to the bodega and pick up food. You don't go to the bodega and pick up food anyway. I'm just, them, can, them cans be outdated like three years. The joint across the street from me, I will never purchase food from them. But, but what we see here is Habakkuk is like, listen, the fields aren't going to grow any food. If the fields aren't growing any food, there's a mass population of Judeans that will starve to death. Do you notice the severity that is happening? And then he ends with five and six, uh, the, the fifth and the sixth laws, really are saying the same thing, just two different ways. Because they're both talking about animals. The fifth one is this, the flock be cut off from the fold. Here's another way of saying it. And there be no herd in the stalls. Now, this is severe as well because sheep is typically what provided the wool and warmth for them in the, in the winter. This is not their daily diet. They did not eat meat like that. It was more of a, of a vegetable type of nation. And so the wool is what provided the warmth. And they also use animals to get the soil ready in order to produce the next crop. And so what they're losing is a lot here. Now, again, 
one of these taken away from them, they can still survive. If they lost the crops, they can start to eat the animals. If, the, if they lose the animals, they got to work more, but they can still plant. But losing all six is an economic disaster. Losing all, sit, all six ultimately shows us that the blessing that God had put on this nation has been taken away, hear me, because of their sin. Do not miss the fact that chapter one, they were in sin. They could have been enjoying everything that we just saw if they were walking in obedience to the Lord, which shows us obedience is always right. Obedience is always important. And we don't obey to be saved. We obey because we are saved. You obey because Jesus has transformed your life. You do not obey so that you can perform for God. So what we have here is they're losing a lot. Now, maybe you didn't lose a fig tree. Maybe you didn't lose any animals, but I'm willing to bet that some of you lost a job. I'm willing to bet that some of you lost a loved one. Maybe you can't identify with the text because the text is like we've lost olive oil and maybe that isn't your loss. Maybe your loss is you're not able to get the unemployment that you were banking on. Maybe you lost that relationship and you wanted it to work out. And what, what I've realized in the text, underneath the text is the assumption that loss is inevitable. All of us in this room will experience loss if you haven't experienced it. You will experience it at some point. And it doesn't matter if you're walking with the Lord or not, you still will experience it. Because what happens is we read texts like this and we're like, yeah, of course, they're experiencing loss in six different areas. They've been trifling in chapter one. They've been messing up in chapter one. But I, I would argue that you can walk faithfully with the Lord and still get lit up. Anybody ever been walking with the Lord and you've been doing everything right? You've been paying your tithes, you know, because the churches will say that you curse with a curse if you don't pay your tithes. I mean, forgetting the fact that cursed is he that hung on a tree. But never, never mind that. What we see in our text is that, yes, you can go through and experience loss because of sin, but you can also experience loss because you're faithful. Okay. Nah, Pastor, I, I don't believe that. I, I saw TBN and Daystar and, and, the, and, the, and the preacher on the Word Network told me, my season cometh to me now. And because he said that to me, <laughs> it is impossible for me to go through when I'm walking with the Lord. Nah, Rick, you can go through and still, you can be faithful to the Lord and still have major seasons of loss Okay, let me put a little Bible here. Job was minding his own business. And he, the Bible says he was upright and he was just and he was walking with the Lord. And in the midst of walking with the Lord, the devil comes through and says, man, I'm looking for somebody to devour. God says, have you considered my son, Job? And in the midst of God saying that, Job goes through a significant amount of loss, not because of sin, but because of faithfulness. So in other words, you might be going through not because you were unfaithful. You might be going through because you're faithful and God wants to test that faithfulness. So experiencing loss is inevitable. And even in the midst of loss for Job, Job says things like, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job says things like the good Lord gives and the good Lord takes away. And then he ends that verse by saying, blessed be the name of our Lord. How in the world is he saying, blessed be the name of our Lord, when you're experiencing God giving, but it's also a blessing, according to Job, when you lose? This, in our text, is a blessing for Judah. Because if God does not punish them, they will continue in obedience and sin. And so what does he say? He says, nah, 
You're going to go through and and maybe you're in this room and that's you, man. You've been walking with the Lord and you're like, nah, I'm having a good season. It's sunny out. Clouds will roll in. Storm and, and rain will happen. It does not matter how faithful you are. You can mind your own business and still be going through. My wife and I years ago did a a 21-day fast, and for 21 days, we, we fasted, we turned down our plate, uh, we prayed three times a day, uh, we, did, we ate one meal a day for 21 days straight, we were faithful, we were walking with the Lord, we were confessing sin, and, and you know, it, it ended on a Sunday, and that Monday, we had to go to work. Now, both of us worked in Jersey, we lived in Philadelphia, it took me about an hour and a half to get to work, she commuted about an hour, and we had two separate cars, and you know, I'm feeling good, I'm like, Lord, I've been walking with you. This, this can be, you know, I'm coming off the heels of a, of a fateful season of 21 days of fast. And I get in my car and I start driving to work. And as I'm driving to work, I'm getting on the acceleration lane and, and my car stalls out. I'm like, what is going on? I pull over and I realize my transmission failed. Now, I don't know if you ever got a transmission fixed, but it's very expensive. So I'm in the midst of calling the tow truck. I didn't have AAA. I'm trying to call the tow truck to pick up the car and move the car. And 10 minutes later matters get worse because my wife calls me and says my car's smoking I'm on the side of the road now here's the crazy thing we done been faithful to the Lord for 21 days but yet we still went through and that could be your story in here because some of you have an entitled spirit and you think because you're faithful you won't go through reality is you'll still go through I know you didn't come in this morning you like man now I wanted to hear about my season I did not want to hear that I might be going through, but you might. Here's what the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12. It says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. It does not say you might be persecuted. It does not say there's a possibility of persecution. It says if you want to walk with the Lord, you'll experience persecution. That's the reality. I wish I didn't have to come in here and tell you that, but that is reality. And so Judah is going through. But unlike me, see, I called the tow truck and got both of the cars towed. It was an expensive day, but I, called, I got both of the cars towed. I got both of the cars fixed, and we were back on the road. Judah, there's no mechanic in Judah that can fix their spiritual issues. So his situation is worse. There, there is no food stamps in Judah because the crops fail. There, there is no social service agency. There's no homeless shelters. There's no well-off relatives that can help them. Their relatives are in the same situation that they're in. And I know you're in here like, my relatives ain't going to help me if I'm in a jam anyway. I know that some, some of y'all got, you know, that, that Kev Hart spirit. You know what Kev Hart's like, you know, my check-in and my savings. They don't, they don't add up when you ask people for money. But in reality, what we see in our text is that their situation is horrible. And it's horrible because people will starve to death. They are experiencing the worst kind of famine. Now, how does Habakkuk respond to this? Because when I think of six areas of loss, most of us in this room will go into deep depression. When you have loss, most of us in this room will stay home and put our heads under the cover. But what does Habakkuk do? Text answers it for us. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Wait a minute. In the midst of loss, he chooses to rejoice. Note two uh, different reactions that he avoids. He does not, in his anger, 
He does not say, Lord, you shouldn't do this to your people. He doesn't blame God. He's not aggravated with God. He's rejoicing even in the midst of loss. The second reaction that he avoids is he doesn't rebuke the devil. Because you know that's what we do when we get hardship, right? The devil is a liar. The devil's in my money. You know, we, we do this. We live in this fantasy world as though go through isn't of the Lord, but go through is always the devil. Let me help you. Go through ain't always the devil. Sometimes go through is the Lord. And you denying reality doesn't help you get out of the situation. Let me help you. You denying that you're sick doesn't get you healed. I used to work with a girl at, at Verizon Wireless, and she came in one time. She was super religious. So, I, mean, so, I mean, she made the Pharisees look like they was weak on the law. She was just like super religious. So she came in one time. She had a cough, and she was sneezing. I'm like, oh, man, you, you sound like you're sick. And she said, the devil's a liar. I do not claim that in the name of Jesus. I am healed, and I am blessed, and I am highly favored. And I'm like, you know, you can't get healed by saying you're not sick. There's nobody in scripture that ever got healed by denying that they were sick. Can you imagine Jesus coming with the woman with the issue of blood? And he comes to her, and she's had an issue for 18 years. And Jesus is like, man, what's going on? She's like, the devil's a liar. I'm healed in your name. Can you imagine that? Jesus would be like, all right, peace out. And she'd stay with the issue of blood. She got healed because she wasn't living in false reality in some fantasy world. So he's not denying the world. And some of you in here, that is your disposition. The first thing you want to do is say, I do not claim that. No, you're going through, just say I'm going through. And here's what Habakkuk do. He's not denying it, but he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing in the Lord, which shows us rejoicing in a hard situation is a choice. You may not be able to change the situation, but you can change your disposition in the situation. And you can choose joy. You can, you can choose to rejoice. But Habakkuk here isn't only choosing an emotional response. Habakkuk here is also choosing a physical response. Look back with me at verse 18. It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take note. I mean, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Do you see this word joy here? In our English language, this does not help us. Because when we see joy, we just think it's connected to the word rejoice. Rejoice, joy, kind of same thing. But the word here for joy is a very, very unique word. Old Testament was written in a language called Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the word joy is gil, G-Y-L, gil. And really what this means is it's not talking about an emotional response. Gil means, for joy, means to leap with exaltation. So in other words, Habakkuk isn't just emotionally responding to having joy. He's physically responding to having joy. Don't miss your shout a moment. Some of you in here right now that came in with issues and trials and tribulations should have jumped up and started leaping right there. And what you need to do is when you lose that job, leap through it. When you get that back diagnosis, leap through it because what you're doing is you're showing a sign of I'm not going to let this take me out. Yeah. I'm still choosing to rejoice. Here's the question that's been hitting me all week. How in the world, because I don't want to downplay it, some of you have really hard situations that you've walked in here with. 
Some of you are still dealing with the trauma. You're going to counseling and therapy, and I praise God for counseling and therapy. I'm not against it. Have you been looking at the news? There are many celebrities that need counseling and therapy. And so I'm not against counseling and therapy, but some of you in here have walked in with a traumatic situation, and I don't want to downplay it. And you might be saying, you got to give me something tangible. How, like, you're telling me to leap? That sounds weird to me. Leap through hard situations? You're telling me to choose joy over depression? How in the world am I supposed to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because the text is going to answer. Here's how Habakkuk did it. Verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. The way that you are able to rejoice in a hard season is to lean on God's strength, not your own. And for him to say God is my strength is really Habakkuk saying, without God, I'm weak. And the strongest person in the room, you're only strong when you are able to articulate that I'm weak. That's this, 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 this false assumption and false reality that, Lord, I don't need to go through, and I'm okay, and I'm really strong. No, be honest. You're weak, and you need strong. You need strength, and the only way you get strength is through God. Let me be more specific. The only way you're able to get strength is through Jesus Christ. The first sign that you are strong is you acknowledging that you're weak, because God always meets us in our weakness not our strength. Because if he meets you in your strength and you get out of the situation, you'll point to you. But when you're weak and you say, man, I've exhausted all avenues. I've tried everything else. Now I'm trying the strength of God. That is what helps us through hard seasons. And so what he's saying is he's like, God, I need strength because I'm weak. And he realizes it and he makes a declaration here. God, the Lord is my strength. And some of you need that strength. Some of you are depressed right now. Some of you came in here with that hardship, and and you're on the verge. You're not there, but you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown. What you need is the strength of God. But you don't only need strength. You need endurance. And in the text, Habakkuk is going to show us that God doesn't just give you strength. He gives you endurance. Here's how. Now, we miss it when we just read it. But look at what it says in verse 19. It says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet Like deers, he makes me tread on high places. What he's showing us here is that even though Judah will be punished by the Babylonians, he's given them endurance to survive through it. I spent 10 days in Jerusalem last year. The beginning of last year, I went to Jerusalem. And um, when you sit in the middle of Jerusalem, you can do a 360 and just like look all the way around you. And all you see is you're surrounded by mountains. In fact, there's a verse tucked away in Psalms 125, I think it's verse 2, maybe it's verse 5, that says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. That is a literal verse. You literally stand in Jerusalem and see mountains around you, showing us how reliable the scriptures are. But when you look at these mountains from afar, they look small. But when you get close upon them, these mountains are not just big mountains, but they're steep. So it's, it's not like you can, you know, like a hill you can walk up. They're steep mountains. Now, we were driving with the tour guide on the tour bus, and, and I'm looking at these mountains when we get close enough to it, and I see these little things moving up the mountain. And I'm like, what in the world is that? Is, is, that, is it birds? Like, what, what is that? And as we get closer, I still see it. So I'm asking the tour guide, 
what in the world is that moving on the mountain? He says, man, here, take my binoculars. I take his binoculars and, and I look on the mountain and to my surprise, I see deer going up the mountain. I'm talking about a mountain that's steep like this. The deer are able to make their way onto the top of the mountain. And the tour guide says to me, the way that they're able to do that is because their back legs, their feet have some type of cushion in them that make it soft for them to walk up the mountain. Okay, you're not connecting it. When you have a mountain in front of you, the Bible says, I'm just going to read the scripture. He makes your feet like deer's feet. He makes me tread on high places. And so when the mountain is in front of you, you do not have to walk the long way around the mountain. The Bible says he's given you feet to walk up the mountain. In fact, read the King James Version. The King James Version says his hind feet, showing us exactly how God has created the deer's feet. And so maybe you're in this room and you got that mountain in front of you. And as you're looking at that mountain, you're getting nervous, you're getting anxiety, you're getting depressed. But the Bible just says you're able to endure because he's giving you feet like a deer. He is your strength in this room. He is your endurance in this room. And I don't want to downplay your situation, but I do want to tell you that God can give you strength through it. And you can be weak and vulnerable and honest with people and honest with God, and it's okay because he's going to provide the strength. Here's what I don't pray. I do not pray that you get out of the situation too quick. I don't. Because there's a lesson in the situation. There's a lesson that Judah needs to learn. And most of the time when we get in hard situations, the first thing we pray is, Lord, get me out. When in reality, the, the first thing you need to pray is, Lord, what am I supposed to learn in this situation? What are you teaching me? But even in the situation, you can rejoice. Every head bow and every eye closed. What I love about rejoicing in hard seasons is we have a model in the scripture of what it looks like to rejoice in hard seasons. And the model that we get is Jesus Christ himself. Because if you remember the text that says, every, you keep your head bowed and your eye closed. If you remember the scripture that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two, where it says, with the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Can you imagine that? How in the world can Jesus find joy in the most crucified, like the, the most hard way to die. How can he find joy in crucifixion? Here's how he finds the joy. You are that joy. Because he recognizes that even in the midst of hardship, that the cross reconciles a sinful man like you and I to a holy God. And in the midst of hardship, Jesus is able to say, bring it on. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. He has been touched with every infirmity that we have been in this room. So maybe you're in this room and you're experiencing loss. Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. Maybe you're in this room and you're experiencing hardship. Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. And, and I, I want to press on you this morning that what you need most this morning is Jesus. I don't care if you walked with him for years. You need him today like you needed him the first day you met him. For those of you in this room that haven't trusted in Jesus, it's impossible for you to cope with life situations without him. You need Jesus. I, 
I'm so serious. We can look at the news and see why people need Jesus. For some reason, we come in here and we, I'm not, you know, we go through this thing where we're like, I'm in church, so that's enough. Church don't save you. You don't need more religion. You need more Jesus. You don't need more structured church. You need more Jesus. I want to pray for you this morning. I'm not even going to call you to the altar because my guess is that all of us in this room are on the altar. Because all of us in this room need more strength and we need more endurance. Father, I pray for everybody in this room today. Because, Lord, I do realize that the nature of what they're going through really does have the ability to take us out. Some people have gone through the same thing that we're going through and it has taken them out. Some people have gone through the exact same through that we're going through right now and they've given up. But yet you've already showed us that you've given us strength by the simple fact that we're sitting in church on a Sunday morning. Despite the fact that we should have died last night. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for the endurance that you provide. And I pray, oh God, that this word, when we walk out of here, would not just be stuck to the pages of our journal. Pray that we wouldn't just take notes in our Bibles and walk away and not apply. In a hard season when we experience loss, help us to remember to rejoice. Help us to remember that you are our strength. Some of us are so joyless, Lord. And I'm not talking about non-believers. Some of us that have trusted in you are joyless. Father, would you restore that joy in this room for your glory and for your honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.